It is so good uh, to see you today, and we know that it is uh, summertime, and we've got, again, lots of people coming in and out, but it is so good to see all of you today, and uh, so good to be here. We have been talking about being positive in a negative world. How do we remain positive in the midst of all this negativity going on and uh, things going on all around us? And uh, we've decided today we've got to remain positive in all of this. I can not tell you a lot of things. I don't have the answers to a lot of things, but I can tell you some things unassure, uh, totally assuredly that God is in control. Amen. God's got this. He's still on his throne. None of this is catching him off guard. And our God's got this. And here's a beautiful thing I want to encourage you with today is God says that he will fight our battles for us. He will go before us, and he will fight our battles for us. And so I want to encourage that with you today. You may say, well, Brother Mark, how can I totally, how can I be positive in such negativity? That's why. Because this battle is the Lord's. And even sometimes who we think our enemy is. Did you know that the Bible tells us that our enemy is like a lion, right? You remember that verse? And it says, he is going around seeking whom he may devour. And he looks to, in John 10, 10, it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So many times we think our enemy is our job, or we think our enemy is the government, or we think our enemy is the other political party from where we stand, or we think that our enemy is our spouse. And can I tell you this? Uh, the enemy is Satan, and that's who we're fighting against, and he is evil, but he is not stupid. I think some people want to have the impression that Satan is stupid. He is not stupid. In fact, he's anything but. He's very crafty. He's very smart. He's not as powerful as God. But guess what? The enemy probably knows your weaknesses better than you do. The enemy probably knows what buttons to push on you better than you know what buttons to push. And so the enemy takes uh, what was meant for good, what God created, and the only thing, the only ability that Satan has is to take what God created. He cannot create things. The only ability that Satan has is to take what God has created for good and turn it into evil. And so you and I today, we have to realize it and understand that Satan is taking a lot of things and he is twisting them. And what God meant for good, he's turning them into evil. Amen. And so understand who your enemy is. How can you go to battle and fight your enemy if you don't know who the enemy is? So I'm telling you today unequivocally that Satan is your enemy. All right? If you're having trouble in your marriage, your enemy is not your spouse. It's Satan trying to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage. Amen? If you're having trouble at work, the enemy is not your boss or your coworkers. The enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy every good and perfect thing from that job. Amen? And so it's all about you and I. It's not whether we're going to face trials and temptations. It's not whether we're going to face difficulties. It's how am I going to look at those things? How am I going to handle those things? What is my attitude towards those things? So today, I'm going to talk about how to get your passion back. Or another word would be enthusiasm. Now, some people think enthusiasm is just something you either naturally have or you don't. Have you ever seen the person that just seems to smile all the time? And your initial thought is probably, why are they smiling all the time? They're up to something. Nobody in their right mind just goes around smiling all the time. Or have you ever gone to the place where that positive person is and they just always seem to have a positive attitude and a positive outlook on life? And you go, 
what is wrong with them? They are crazy. Them people are crazy. But I'm here to tell you, enthusiasm is not something you either naturally have or not. It's something you choose, all right? And I'm going to show you today that enthusiasm is a godly characteristic, all right? And so it will make a difference in your life. If you were to become enthusiastic about your job, if you were to become enthusiastic about God's purpose for your life, if you were to become enthusiastic about your salvation, it would totally turn your world and my world upside down. So that's what we're going to look at today, all right? Um, maybe this is you today. You would say at one time, I was closer to God than I am right now. Would anybody say that? I could say that. You know, when I was closest to God, I'm sad to say this, you know, here I'm a grown man, 57 years old. But I'll tell you, when I was the strongest for God was right after I got saved, about two years after I got saved. Uh, my salvation was still fresh. I was on fire for God, and I was 17 years old. And uh, I was just on fire for God. I went to school. I told you last week about somebody challenged me to put my uh, Bible on top of my books at school. So my entire junior year of high school, I went to class with my Bible on top of my books. And I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I was just on fire for the Lord. And I was not ashamed to tell anybody and everybody who would listen about the Lord, all right? And unfortunately, what happens is we get older Time goes by, real life happens, and the enemy starts to suck some of the joy out of your life. He still kills and destroys some of that joy. And I get to where I'm down the road some, and all of a sudden I don't have the same joy that I used to have. I don't have the same passion I used to have. I don't have the same enthusiasm that I used to have. Now, what happened? There's a little scripture where in Revelation uh, where John the Revelator is going back and he's writing these letters to these churches, and he tells this one church, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold. But when you're lukewarm, I want to, and literally, I don't want to gross anybody out here, but the wording you, the original wording used was, I want to throw you up. I want to spew you out of my mouth. So we literally make God sick to his stomach when we live in a lukewarm state. He said, I'd rather you be ice cold or totally hot. But you make me sick with your lukewarmness. You're just right in the middle. And let's, let's face it, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there in our lukewarmness. And he tells this church, here's the cure to your lukewarmness. Go back and discover your first love. Remember when you first got saved? Remember the excitement? Remember the passion the day you got saved? Can anybody remember that? How many of you could uh, take me right now to the exact spot where you got saved? Amen. I can. It's right down here. I can take you down to Friendly Baptist Church on Front Street right here. And I can take you. It's the Fellowship Hall now. It's, uh, it's not the auditorium anymore. But I can take you, and I can take you to the exact spot where Mark Trammell met Jesus. Woo! Come on now. And I want to tell you, I remember it like it was yesterday. Do you remember that day? How clean you felt how fresh you felt, how you were so excited in your newfound faith, and you couldn't wait. It's like you couldn't wait to tell somebody. And I want to tell you, my high school years, when a lot of people are having their worst time, I got saved when I was 15 years old. And my high school years were some of my strongest years. When a lot of people are wandering away from God was when I was the strongest. And I want to tell you, it was because there was a passion. Now, I want to ask you, and here's what, John the Revelator is saying to the church, he says, you must go back and you must find your first love. Now, men, if I can put you on the spot here, men, 
because your wife's probably sitting right next to you. Do you remember when you first fell in love with that woman? Men, I'm trying to help you out here. Do you remember when you fell in love with that woman for the first time? Amen. And I mean, you were so in love, but guess what? The enemy don't like that. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage, doesn't he? And so what happens? You get married and you spend 24-7 with each, each other for a few years. And all of a sudden, that same passion, what do we call it? The fire, the fire, the fire is not quite there like it used to be. Amen. So in the same way, you must reignite your passion in your marriage sometimes. And guess what? In your relationship with God, you have to reignite the passion in your life. And so you need to go back to that first love. Listen, when I'm struggling sometimes, when I'm really having a bad day, I go back to the day I got saved. And I think about that little spot over there at Friendly Baptist Church. And I, I just sit and I think about that for a while. And I let that encourage me. And some days I have to say, Lord, I got to go back to there. I got to go back to that spot. I got to go back to that same passion, that same excitement. Lord, I need to go back to my first love. And so that's, that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Enthusiasm, there are two kinds of people. There are those who let their circumstance, circumstances influence their enthusiasm. That's most of us. Most of us, we look at our circumstances before we decide what kind of day we're going to have. You ever been there? You ever wake up in the morning, you're feeling pretty good, you think, oh, it's going to be a good day, and then boom, you walk, you get out of the bed, you walk into the kitchen, and there's something wrong with the sink, and there's water all over the floor. Guess what? I just went from a good day to a bad day. Amen? I'm letting my circumstances dictate to me. Because some people get up and they say, well, there's water on the floor, or I walk out the door, and there's a flat tire on my vehicle, and so they decide, all right, I'm having a bad day. No, shame on you. Can I shake my finger at you? Shame on you. Amen? Don't let the circumstance dictate your day. I want to tell you, when you go out and you see that flat tire, just say, not today, Satan. Amen? I've seen that on a t-shirt. I like that. Not today, Satan. Amen? I am not going to let you steal my joy. Think of that verse every time something bad happens in your life. He is trying to steal, kill, and destroy my joy and my passion. He's trying to steal kill and destroy this day for me and not today, Satan. And so I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate to me what kind of day I'm going to have. Number two is the kind of person we all need to be. There are those um, who use their enthusiasm to influence their circumstances. Those who let their enthusiasm influence their circumstances. Now, this is the kind of person I'm talking about uh, that lights up a room. Anybody know a person like that? Uh, there is a person uh, that we just had a funeral for, and many of you old landmarkers will remember. Do you remember Ivy Latrell? Ivy Latrell had that kind of smile, and it was always on her face, so much so that you always said, Ivy, what are you up to? Uh, now, with Ivy, that's true. She could have been up to something, amen? But Ivy just had this beautiful voice, this beautiful countenance, this smile on her face. And if she were to walk in that door, she's, she went on to be with the Lord. But if she were to walk in that door, her smile would light up this room. It would change the atmosphere in the room. Is that not the kind of person we all need to be? Can you be a person who just lights up the room? And I'm here to tell you, we all need to strive to be there. We don't need to be negative towards that person. Most of us look at the people that smile all the time and have a positive attitude all the time, and we think they're crazy. 
Uh, there's something wrong with you, amen? But we need to strive to be that kind of person and say, I want to be a person who lights up people's lives. I want to be the kind of person, when I walk into the room, the atmosphere changes in the room, amen? And you and I need to strive to be that kind of person, all right? So don't let your circumstances influence your enthusiasm. Let your enthusiasm set the tone of the room and influence the circumstances. All right, let's go to the first scripture there, uh, if you would. All right, it is 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. It says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, here's an interesting thing. Most people in this room would probably say, you know, I'm in a good mood until I have to go to work. Or I'm in a good mood until I get to the people who are at my work. Uh, what if we change that? Did you know the people who you work with, as a general rule, you will spend more time with those people than you do your, your own family? So, to me, that's probably the most important place. What have you set in your mind to be the person at work who's going to change the atmosphere at work? There's a scripture that says, in everything you do, do it as unto who? The Lord. So in other words, whatever that job is, uh, and it doesn't matter what it is, uh, I need to go in and I need to do it to the best of my ability. I need to be the best employee. I need to do it as if I'm doing it for the Lord. You're cleaning toilets. I just said I'm going to go clean them toilets. I need to be cleaning them toilets as if the Lord himself is going to be inspecting my work. Amen. Do it to the best of your ability. And then I think it also means I need to be the person who sets the atmosphere at work. Are you the person who sets the positive tone at work? Or are you the person who everybody sees coming and goes, oh, God, here they come. Everybody move, move the other direction. Everybody start. You ever notice if you're at work and you walk in the hallway and everybody clears the hallway, you, there might be a problem. All right. Uh, so you might want to change your attitude. Uh, what if you were the person who, when you came into work, everybody gravitated towards, though? Now, I used to have a job my way. Uh, and I've told you all this before. Uh, I worked my way through college working at Mr. Gaddy's Pizza, where Happy's Fish House sits right now. And so a lot of this I can attribute to Mr. Gaddy's, it's four years of pasta and pizza. That's what it'll do to you, amen? Um, and so, uh, but one of the things I strive to do, and this was uh, right at the end of my high school years when I was on fire for the Lord, and I went to work at Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. I was not a preacher. I had not surrendered to the ministry. I had not done anything of that nature yet. I was just, uh, now, if you, now my wife makes fun of this, but uh, I was actually the dough boy, Amen. I know. Go ahead and make all your jokes right now, all right? I was the doughboy at Mr. Gaddy's, all right? In other words, to fit my, works, uh, my school schedule, the guy let me come in in the mornings because most people don't eat pizza in the morning. And so the guy coming in early in the morning, the first guy in the door, has to make all the crust for the day, hence the dough. You had to make up all the dough and make all the crust for the day. So I became the doughboy, all right? <laughs> all right, um... Some of these kids won't even know that commercial probably. But the doughboy, all right? So, but what I did was I said in my mind, and I was so passionate about the Lord at that time, that I would just, I tried to set the tone at work. 
And so I was the first one there, and then as people would come in, I'd try to greet them with a smile on my face and, how you doing, tell me about your day. And without even trying, what ended up happening was my wife, my, the people at work began to come to me with their problems. And they began to come to me, and if they were having issues or if they were having a hard time, they began to come to me, and they began to, uh, to share their problems with me. And so I kind of became the unofficial Mr. Gaddy's Pizza Counselor, amen? And uh, people would come to me. But here's what happened. I was so on fire for the Lord that what I found was people knew that even without me thumping a Bible or preaching a sermon, people automatically gravitated towards me because they kind of knew where I stood and they knew, all right, Mark knows the Lord. I'm having some problems. Maybe I need to go take this to Mark. And so people would just kind of naturally, and again, not to pat myself on the back, but just saying, if you become known at work, then people a lot of times will just naturally gravitate towards you. And I want to tell you, if, if people do that already, then that's awesome. Keep it up. If they don't do that, then maybe you need to change and say, you know what? I need to treat my job differently. I need to treat my job as I'm doing it for the Lord. Maybe your boss is a terrible tyrant. Amen? Well, you just need to get that out of your mind and say, I'm not doing it for my boss. I'm going to do a great job because I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. All right? And that would honor him. And that would honor, that would lift his name high. So I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. All right? Okay. Uh, go to the next slide there. Uh, it is not uh, what you do that makes it meaningful. It's who you do it for. Can I tell you, again, I'm going to preach to the men here because it's, uh, I'm a man, so it's, you're the best ones I can relate to. When I take the trash out, it is not a glorious thing. I don't like taking the trash out. Trash stinks. It's nasty. I don't like touching it. But you know why I take the trash out? Because it makes my wife happy. Amen. I don't like doing the dishes. But when I do the dishes, do you know why I do the dishes? Because it makes my wife happy. If I was a single guy, I'm just telling I'm be honest with you, I would live in a pigsty. Amen. It would be terrible. Amen. I wouldn't wash a plate probably until I had to. But I'm here to tell you, I don't do it because I want to have a clean plate or a clean cup. I do it because it makes my wife happy. You ever done the five love languages? My wife, her love language, and I hate this, is uh, service, uh, acts of service that I do for her. Now, I hate that. I would much rather talk lovey-dovey to her than I would do acts of service. Amen? But that's her love language. I can't change it. I know that's what makes her happy. So that's what this is saying. It is not what you do. It's not about taking the garbage out because it still stinks, and I still don't like it. It's not about doing the dishes, because I don't like doing the dishes. It's, about, it's not about what I do, and that's not glorious. It's who am I doing it for. I'm doing it because it makes her happy. I love her, and I want to stay in her good graces. Please tell her that, amen, uh, when she gets here. All right, I want to stay in her good graces, and so I do it because I love her. Listen, your job, God has a purpose in your job. And it is not about your boss. It's not about the people at work. Maybe you hate everybody you work with. But guess what? You need to turn that attitude around and say, I ain't doing it for those people. I'm doing it for the Lord. So guess what? I'm fixing to change my attitude. Now, I'm here to tell you, here's the magic thing that will happen. When you change your attitude, it's very likely that everybody else's attitude around you will change. Right? When you change your attitude from a negative to a positive, Guess what it does? It's like a chemical reaction. It's most likely. Now, not overnight, not immediately. Don't get upset if they don't all change overnight. But over time, as you change your attitude, 
it's very likely that everybody around you will change their attitude, all right? Okay, so work for the Lord. Uh, it will transform your mundane and meaningless job into something very meaningful, all right? Um, let me tell you, if you work in the service industry, you have the perfect job for this. Now, I'm going to pick on Mary. Mary, I didn't know if you were going to be here this morning, but Mary uh, is, a, is a waitress, and she, it's a service-oriented deal. And I tell you, I love to go eat where Mary works because Mary is always going to greet me with a smile, and she's always going to be positive. Amen. Let me tell you this. If you work in a service industry, you have the greatest influence because people are coming in and out all the time, right? There's no telling during a day how many different people you can have an influence on their life, right? And so I want to tell you this. Take your job and do it as unto the Lord. I've, I've had waitresses that did not seem like they liked their job, and they really did not like, act like they liked waiting on you, all right? But I love going to somebody like Mary because she makes it a positive experience. She makes it a fun experience, and I love being there when she has it. That person has the ability to either make your day better or make your day worse, don't they? Anybody here ever had that waitress who just acted like they really didn't like you and they didn't want to be around you, they did not want to serve you? That just kind of ruins the whole experience, doesn't it? And so, uh, man, do your job as if you're doing it under the Lord. Now, we're going to look at, uh, at uh, one guy that everybody here knows. You can, uh, you can look at his life and you can say, it is a choice. And that is David. Now, David, we know two stories of David. David was a kid and he was a king. When he was a kid, you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? So David and Goliath. And I'm just going to uh, go ahead and put the scripture up there. And uh, this is with uh, David and Goliath, if you remember. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Next one. Did it freeze up on you? And it says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And if you remember the story of David and Goliath, that's exactly what happened. David, a little punk kid, 12 years old, took a stone, whack, hit Goliath right between the eyes, the, uh, Goliath the giant falls, and what does David do? David takes that sword, and he whacks his head off, all right? And he says, this was done. I did this in the name of the Lord. I didn't do this because of who I am. I did this because I serve uh, my God, amen? And so uh, he, was very, uh, he was very full of God, all right? Where did David's enthusiasm come from, all right? Uh, number one, he trusted God daily. If you read the story of David before the David and Goliath encounter, he prepared himself by taking care of the sheep. He was a shepherd. And guess what? The Bible says that he would fight lions and bears with his bare hands. So when Goliath shows up, guess what? God had already prepared him. I've already been fighting lions and bears with my bare hands. This Claude Hopper ain't nothing. Amen. This big old guy, he's just a bigger version. He's nobody. He's nothing. So uh, God had already prepared him uh, for this as a kid. All right. Number two, he walked with God daily. 
when David was a kid, he wrote the 23rd Psalm, and uh, everybody knows the 23rd Psalm, uh, that uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And this is a guy who was walking with God daily. You don't write the 23rd Psalm and not be walking with God daily. That is, he's painting a picture of his walk with God. And then number three, he worshiped God daily. It says that uh, David had a daily private time of worship, all right? Uh, Then we fast forward and we see David as the king. Now what happened? David got older, but instead of getting wiser, David kind of lost his mind, didn't he? And he made some bad choices. So the story most of us know from David as an adult is David and Bathsheba. Remember that story? All right. So what happened was when kings go off to war in the springtime, David was not where he was supposed to be. David sent his armies off, and David stayed home. David resided in the, uh, in the palace, and his roof could see every other roof below him. And he's not where he's supposed to be. And he goes out, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And so he looks upon her, and then he doesn't look away. He keeps looking till there's lust in his heart. He has Bathsheba brought, and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, all right? Then it snowballs because David tries to cover it up, and he has her husband Uriah sent to the front lines trying to get him killed, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And um, so what ends up happening is, is that God sends a prophet named Nathan to David, and he tells a story, and he tells him a story about a sheep, and he says this one man had one little sheep, and he treated that sheep like his child. He held it in his arms. He fed it. And then his neighbor had all of these sheep and stole his sheep. And David gets incensed and says, that guy needs to be put to death. All right? He should be put to death. He had all these sheep, and he goes and steals that one guy's sheep. And Nathan calls uh, David out and says, you are that man. You could have had any woman in the kingdom that you desired. Instead, you took Uriah's wife. And uh, he calls him out, all right? Uh, So David is king with enthusiasm. David ran into the battle to serve his God when he was a kid. With apathy, David walked on the roof to serve his comfort. You see, David made a common mistake. He got consumed with his lust. He got consumed with what he wanted. He got consumed with his flesh. And that's where he made the mistake, all right? So you've got to watch out. When we get apathetic, what do we usually do? We just run to our comfort. Why, are most of, why do most of us get into addictions, food addiction? They call it comfort food because it comforts us. We tend to, when we get apathetic, we run to food to be our addiction, or we run to alcohol to be our addiction, or we run to drugs to be our addiction, all right? All right, so uh, go to the next one. How did a man who had such enthusiasm as a kid lose it as a king? And here's the key. Write this down or take a picture of that. He took his eyes off of his calling, and he put it on his comfort. Many of us, we get there, don't we? When I find myself apathetic, it's because I've taken my eyes off of my calling, and I put them on my comfort. Listen, you don't have to do anything to be selfish, do you? Just live for your flesh. It is a human nature to only be consumed with what I need and what I want. And the Lord says, uh, it is not about you. It is not about you. I hate to burst your bubble. And I hate to burst my bubble, but it is not about us. It is about God. And God has one purpose in everybody's life in here. And guess what? It has nothing to do. It has that you would lift up the name of God and you would lift up his son's name. And that is 
the main purpose for all of our lives, all right? Um, so, um, how did David turn it around, all right? Let's go to the scripture, Psalm 51, 10 through 12. This is David's response after Nathan confronts him with his sin. And he admits his sin. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. So, uh, David admits his sin. And he cries out to God. And he says, Forgive me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Put me back where I was. Send me back to my first love, all right? Now, here's the amazing thing to understand about David. David did not lose his enthusiasm. David didn't lose his salvation, but he let the devil get the victory and distract him from it, all right? So enthusiasm, being full of enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm comes from a Greek word called entheos, and theos, you probably know, is the word where the word theology comes from, God. Entheos means in God. So the word enthusiasm really has nothing to do with just a positive state of mind. It really has to do with full of God, in God. Are you full of God? Are you filled with God? That's where you get your enthusiasm from, to be filled with God and not be filled with your flesh. And it is to be born out of an intimacy and a fellowship with God that comes from just spending time with him. You know what? If you want to get to know your spouse better, you got to spend time with them. If I want to be a closer friend to you and know more about you, then we have to sit down and we have to spend more time together. And it is no different with, with God. If you want to be closer to God, you've got to sit down and you've got to spend time with him. You've got to be intimate with him, all right? Um, think about how enthusiasm could change the climate around you. At your job, at your work, in your home. Now I'm going to leave you with this because I know everybody here comes from a home. Everybody here is in a home. And maybe you're the only one in your house. And the only one you've got to worry about staying positive with is you. But most everybody here has other people living in your house. And what I've decided is my attitude rubs off on my home. Would you all agree with that? My attitude rubs off on my home. If I get up and I'm in a bad mood, what is that likely going to do? That's going to influence and affect everybody in my home. If I get up and I'm in a good mood and I start smiling and I want to have something good to say to everybody, what does that do? That tends to affect everybody in my home. What if we were to change the atmosphere? Now, I've talked a lot about your job, but I wanted to end with your home because this is the most important one. You may not be able to change a lot of things at your job. You may say, well, my job, that's way too big a place. But guess what? Everybody in here, if, even if you can't do that, you can change the atmosphere in your home. And you may say, well, I'm the only one there. Well, then change the atmosphere for yourself. Change the atmosphere from a negative to a positive. There are times I have to go back and I have to apologize to my wife and my kids. And I have to say, you know what? I'm sorry, I've had a bad attitude, I've had a bad day, and I let it affect me, and as a result, that's affected y'all. Because guess what, we've, we've all done it, we've all done it, but we need to turn that around. The atmosphere in your home 
needs to be turned around. And this is the key right here, entheos. Your enthusiasm, you need to fill your house with God, fill your life with God, fill your home and fill your family with God. Amen. I find when I'm a better husband, that affects my wife. And amazingly, magically, she becomes a better wife. Now, she, re- she doesn't really. It's just my, my change in attitude reflects from her. Amen. And it's the same way. She has the power to change me many times because if she gets up and she's positive towards me, then a lot of times I will switch my attitude. Amen. So we have an amazing power and an amazing ability just by our attitude and just by the, the atmosphere in our home. I, wanna, I want you to leave today thinking about the atmosphere in your home. Is the atmosphere in your home where it needs to be? Let's pray together. Father, we love you today, and I pray for every person here, Lord. And I pray, God, that you might change the atmosphere of our homes. And God, I pray especially for the men, because as the leaders of our home, we need to lead out in this. And Lord, help us to be more positive. Help us to find the positive things to say and to be in a good mood and to change the atmosphere of our home from negative to positive, Lord. If you're here today and you've never started your journey with Christ, maybe you're not sure where you would go if you were to die, I want to give you an opportunity. I always want to leave you an opportunity because he is as close as a prayer away. If you'd say, Mark, I'm not sure if I were to die, if I would go to heaven or not, I want to encourage you to say this prayer in your heart and your mind and mean it. Just say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, wash my sins in the blood of Jesus, and save me from myself. If you prayed that prayer today, please come and tell me. Tell somebody you're with. Make that known to somebody today. Father, change our atmosphere. Help us to regain our passion. Lord, help us to all go back to our first love and find you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.